Hallelujah. It's always confirmation for me when someone in the morning service begins on a topic or scripture that the Lord seems to have led me to. And while it was only half true that he took my text because I wanted to read some of the eighth chapter as well, he certainly gave a very good, uh, not just introduction, but a reasonably well in-depth description of the grace, as Paul calls it in his letter to the Corinthians, of giving. And I want to, I want to talk about that as well this morning. And maybe we can be a little shorter because Brother Wyan covered part of it so well, part of what I wanted to talk about at least so well. But I want to, I want to begin reading with the 8th chapter, uh, the first verse, and we'll read down through the 15th verse of the, of the 8th chapter. And then we'll let Brother Wyan's reading and comment, commentary on the 9th chapter uh, stand as well. But 2 Corinthians, the 8th chapter, beginning at verse 1. As I was casting about for a, a scripture and topic on this, uh, I looked at that ninth chapter and, and it just seemed to speak to me. And then I realized that chapter 9 was simply a continuation of chapter 8. And so that's why I wanted to bring chapter 8 into this as well. The first 15 verses of chapter 8 and the entire 15 verses of chapter 9 make 30 verses. Uh, and not to skip over verses uh, 16 on in that 8th chapter, but uh, in particular, the thoughts that I wanted to draw were from those 30 verses. So Paul says to the Corinthians in this portion of his second letter, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the church of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God, insomuch that we desired Titus that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. And herein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you who have begun before, not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. Now therefore perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. For I mean not that others be eased and ye be burdened, but by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, and that their abundance may also be a supply for your want, that there may be equality. As it is written, he that hath gathered much hath nothing left over, or hath nothing over, and he that had gathered little had no lack. So again, we want to 
praise the Lord for Brother Wyan's uh, comments and reading of the, sec- the ninth chapter of 2 Corinthians this morning. Save me the reading of it. We will refer to it as we uh, go through this. And Brother Wyan, I think, uh, as well recognized or uh, mentioned at least the, the season, and, and Dad may have also, the, the Christmas season that we're in, and we, we, our minds turned to giving. And that wasn't really what prompted this for me because I want to distinguish this this concept of gift giving at Christmas time from what Paul is talking about here. There's a very, it's a, there's a very big distinction here. At Christmas time, we give gifts uh, to loved ones, and it, and it becomes something that's almost expected, right? And we feel the pressure of giving. And Paul even refers to the pressure of, of giving, uh, which is maybe more a societal or emotional pressure. And he relieves them of that pressure uh, by giving them some advice. But he as he as he talks about in this eighth and ninth chapter, he he specifies something very specific, and I want to I want to read this uh, to to remind us of this concept. He says, "Moreover, brethren, the first verse we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia." He's he's bringing up the churches of Macedonia because the churches of Macedonia were not as well off as the Corinthian brethren. And he's giving them, these brethren at Corinth, the example of the Macedonians, how they, out of their poverty, gave. And he is, he is challenging them to have the, the same mindset of giving. And he reminds them that they had, in time past, a year ago, he says, a, a mind to give. But there were some intervening things that happened. You know what Paul wrote to them about in the first chapter of Corinth, uh, the first letter of the Corinthians was about a sin which was in their midst, which they were not addressing and taking care of. And so he reminded them of that. And I think their attentions were turned to taking care of this issue that was in the church. Uh, and now in the second letter, he's writing back to them to commend them for dealing with that issue, uh, but reminding them also of the commitment that they made uh, for helping the churches, and he's telling them that they need to uh, continue on in this grace, as he calls it, this ministry work that they had determined to do earlier, and that, and that they uh, needed to be careful to go ahead and carry it out. And so he says, um, he commends the Macedonians in, in verse 2, how that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. So you see the language that Paul uses here. He's using poverty and riches and so forth, not only in the context of material goods and money and so forth, but also in, in the terms of their spiritual endowment. What God has given to them spiritually and how that affects how they think of their temporal blessings. And that's the first lesson I think we need to get out of this, is that when we are rich in our spiritual walk with the Lord, our view of the temporal blessings that God gives to us is changed. It's purified. It is... It is uh, uh, I can't think of the word I need. It is educated, if you will, by that by the spiritual blessings that we have from God. And as, as Brother Wyan pointed out earlier, uh, Paul himself says in these chapters that it is a 
blessing from God and that as we recognize that the temporal blessings that we derive from God or that we receive from God, we also have to recognize that the spiritual blessings are those from God as well. It isn't something that we manufacture ourselves. And it is only by the strength of God that we, that we gain material blessings and by His outstretched arm and open hand, but it is also the spiritual blessings that we gain that we get from God as well. The enlightenment we have of, the, of, of being able to see the world around us and our place in it uh, spiritually as, as being a people who have been called by God, saved by God, redeemed by God, blessed by God, sanctified by God, and ultimately justified by God through the blood of Christ. As we see that then, we see God as the giver of all things, both temporal and spiritual. As Paul calls upon the knowledge of these people in Corinth uh, of these truths, then he encourages them to not only see the material blessings that God has given them in this light, but to give according to, those, to that understanding. And so he says... Uh, in verse 3, for to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves. So beyond their power, not only beyond the means that they had physically or temporally, but beyond the means that they had spiritually, as Brother Wyan pointed out in the opening so aptly. We do not give naturally, necessarily. And, and it seems like sometimes the more we have, the more we want to keep what we have. And, and, and that natural inclination causes us sometimes uh, to be inclined toward being stingy, toward not giving. And I, and I was thinking as I was, as I was going through this material earlier that one of the, one of the big blessings, and I don't, I, 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 this isn't just to, to make a plug for Anabaptism, but, I, but I'm, I think about the opportunity that we have as believers to look at a scripture like this and say, the preacher is not preaching this because he's going to benefit by it. You see so oftentimes in the radio preachers or the TV preachers, the big, you know, the people that have these gigantic churches and many people that come to them and so forth, oftentimes their, their, their preaching is based upon or has the uh, desired end as being encouraging people to give that their salary might be increased essentially or that their work might be forwarded, their own personal work, and they benefit from it personally. This isn't the case here. Notwithstanding the out, you know, the 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 outstanding dues of members who haven't paid their dues yet. <laughs> and we haven't benefited from that either, you might note. But but the blessing we have in being able to talk about something like this is that the the audience of a, of a message like this recognizes that I'm not going to benefit financially, temporally, from, from giving this message. And so we have the freedom of preaching a message like this without self-interest, but rather encouraging the saints to do this according to the will of God and for the benefit of of those who Paul talks about uh, in this in these passages, and we'll point that out a little bit later. So Paul says in verse 4, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Paul actually uh, recognized in this place and others that, that those who preach have the right to benefit 
from the from the giving of the saints. Um, and and he said in another place, the ox is is essentially uh, a partaker of the corn in which he treads out or which he grinds. And 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 his reference is the ministry being being supported by the uh, the church. And and we as Anabaptists have decided that that wouldn't be the model that we would follow because of of the some of the problems that are inherent in that and some of the preaching that might not be preached for fear of uh, getting some of that salary yanked out from under them. And so we have this opportunity to to look at a passage like this unobstructed by self-interest. However, the the problem comes in when we look at a passage like this that all of us suffer from that same selfishness that Brother Wyan talked about this morning. The, oppor- the, the desire to keep what God has so open-handedly bestowed upon us. Paul, as he talks about the Macedonians and contrasting them to the Corinthians, says in this second verse, how great a trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and deep poverty abounded into the riches of their liberality. So in other words, they were a people who gave out of the joy of giving, knowing the purpose of their giving was going to benefit someone else who maybe wasn't even in as deep a trouble financially as they were in. And that's that's pretty astounding when we really think about it. In the context of the 21st century America, where very few of us are are suffering in deep poverty. Very, very few of us. And especially compared to the rest of the world. Uh, our, our collective income in America is many times what it is in many other uh, countries in the world. And so financially, we don't really have a whole lot to, 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 uh, to worry about or to complain about. So Paul uses this example and he says, then in verse 5, and this they did not as we hoped. In other words, they exceeded what his hopes were. The Macedonians exceeded what Paul's expectations and hopes were for them. But first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. So Paul said, they got things right. They did things in the proper order. First and foremost, they gave themselves to God. And this giving of themselves to God and knowing what His expectations were for them, they then gave of their temporal things above Paul's expectations because Paul knew of the selfishness of mankind. He understood our willingness to hang on to what we've got for dear life and not be open-handed as God is. Insomuch, he says, verse 6, that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so we would also finish in you the same grace also. So he's, he's giving them the example of the Macedonians and how they were in their poverty, willing to give of their material goods. And he says, so I sent Titus to you to, to try to encourage you in this same grace. So this is something else that I, I, I think we need to make note of. In verse 4, he says, the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And then in in verse 6, he says this same grace. We think of grace, God's grace, as being the unmerited favor of God as He gives to us uh, that which we don't deserve. But Paul extends that or applies that to to this ministry of giving. To the ministry of giving. We we need to, to, to take note of that. This ministering to the saints. The second aspect of this is that we would recognize 
that the context of what Paul is talking about is giving of our temporal goods to support someone else who is in need. It is not necessarily for the building of a big church edifice. It's not necessarily for uh, buying lands and buildings and parking lots and so forth and so on for the church. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's not the context of what Paul is talking about here, nor is it the context of our attitude that Paul is talking about that we need to have toward this. It is for the, for the support of other people who are in poverty and need. Okay, so we need to get this context straight. Paul never says anything about how the Corinthian brethren needed to, uh, needed to give in order that somebody else even build a church or that they give in order that somebody else might, you know, have some ministry of the church. But it's, but, but the context of this is simply supporting in a financial way others who were in need. That's the context. So then he says in verse 7, Therefore, as ye abound in everything, and, and I want to, again, I want us to take notice of this because we hold up the spiritual elements of our Christian walk, uh, and rightfully so, it is described this way elsewhere in Scripture, but we, we think about these other things, uh, and I think often we lift them up, we try to prioritize them differently than we do what Paul calls here a ministering or a grace. But think, listen to what he says here in verse 7. He says, therefore, as ye abound in everything, and he names some of them. He says, faith. Therefore, as you abound in faith, as your faith has grown, as you have established your faith in the Lord, as you're living out your faith in the Lord, then he says, and utterance, which I would understand to mean speaking out our faith, the preaching of the word, the expression of the gospel, the extension of the of the uh, the uh, uh, love and salvation of the Lord to the unsaved. Your utterance, he says, and knowledge, the desire that we have to to understand in a more deep way the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and the and the mind and the will of God. As we do that, Paul says, this is something that we need to be doing. But he says. Therefore, as you abound in these things, as you abound in faith, as you abound in utterance, as you abound in knowledge, and in all diligence, he says, and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. So he said, don't give the, the understanding of the importance of giving and supporting other believers financially don't give it short shrift. Don't overlook it. Don't underestimate the need for that. And I, and I think often we do that, don't we? When we think of faith, I mean, how could we not say that our faith needs to be strengthened and that the things that we do, the preaching and teaching, uh, these things need to be strengthened and we need, we, that's why we gather together as believers Sunday to Sunday and time to time uh, whenever we do that, and, and we are encouraged to encourage one another in all of these things. And Paul says, this is a grace. This is a ministry. And we need to do this as, in part uh, at least, for the reasons that Brother Wyan gave this morning, that we recognize that God is the giver and that the, the things that we have belong to God. The cattle on a thousand hills are God's. 
He doesn't need anything from us. We're not giving in order to give to God that we might receive His praise or that we might supply His need. But rather, we're doing it for a purpose which God has in Himself for us. Therefore, as you abound in everything, in faith, utterance, knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. This grace is the giving of our financial means to others who have a need. He says, I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. When he says this, I speak not by commandment. What he means is, I'm not commanding you to do this. This is not something that I have from God who said, make these people do this. He's not trying to force them. He's trying to encourage in them this grace. He's trying to to strengthen in their minds the importance of doing this. It is an encouragement of Paul's to them. And then verse 9, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. So he's basing what he's teaching upon the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, we know that it is recorded in the Scriptures that Christ did not have a home. He did not buy a house. He did not have a place many times just to sleep. He had to sleep in public places sometimes. He had to, he had to take advantage of the, the generosity of other people because he did not establish a home on earth. And, and he did that by design. He did that for a purpose. And I believe it was for, as, as Paul talks about here, for our example. Not that we would be homeless. Not that we wouldn't have a place to stay or a home to call our own. But the, but the mindset that Christ had toward temporal things was that he was here, A, to do his father's business. He expressed that several times. I am here to do my father's business. His commands are my will. His will is my will. So I'm doing what he has commanded me to do. And I'm not going to do that which will stand in the way of me conducting my father's business here on earth. And we say, well, you know, we're not Christ and there's... There's only one Christ and there's only one work of atonement that was to be done. And that is all true. However, Paul says elsewhere, let this mind be in you, which was in the mind of Christ as well, right? He took upon himself the form of flesh, having left heaven, comes down to earth, uh, rids himself of, of all of the glory that he had in heaven. This is my paraphrase. Rid himself of all the glory that he had in heaven came and walked in the dust of the earth for the specific purpose of giving his life on the cross as the perfect sacrifice that we might have hope of eternal life. So that mind that was in Jesus Christ, Paul is exhorting these Corinthian brethren here again, have this mind. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, cattle on a thousand hills, really... This, this analogy that Paul uses, which is so, used so often in the New Testament and the Old Testament as well, in talking about all of the riches of the glory of God, we oftentimes think of that in terms of temporal things, the riches of the glory of God. And those, those verses like in the 50th Psalm, where the cattle on a thousand hills is mine, if I had a need, I would not ask you, and so forth. And it, those are given so that we might be able to relate. But, but I don't think that God has a need being a spirit 
I don't think God has a need for the temporal things that we have that he has, he has made for us. And the, and the riches in glory that God has and the things that he has prepared for us, I believe are exclusively made to appeal to us as human beings, uh, being three-part human beings, body, soul, and spirit. We have that body aspect that, that, that is, can be appealed to by these temporal things because that's what we relate to. But as Paul appeals to this grace, he says, you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, he's using that same word grace. You know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the ministering that he did when he came, he healed the sick, he caused the blind to see, he made the lame to walk and so forth. That, that unmerited love of Christ to, to each of the people he came in contact with was a part of his ministering. And Paul is, is describing the mindset that we should have in that context. He became poor that ye through his poverty might be rich. So he says, this is my advice. It's expedient for you who have begun before. In other words, they had decided at some time before. Paul says, now this is my advice to you. Make sure that that which you have determined to do before you carry out. Don't allow yourselves that procrastination uh, which oftentimes leads to failure. You determined before to lay aside material goods or uh, money or whatever it was, and, and, and something else got in your way, the work of the church got in your way, but now go back and revisit that and recommit yourselves to doing what you were committed to do before. Now therefore, verse 11, perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness of will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. So, so Paul gives us another, another lesson in this. So many times we hear an appeal in some way for someone who is in need. And we make a mental note of that, you know. And we seem to be prompted by the Holy Spirit. You know, maybe, maybe I should give. Maybe we need to examine how we can help in some way. And then we go our way. And by virtue of procrastination, we never get it carried out. We never do it. Anybody ever experienced that? I have. And Paul, I think, is, is teaching us a lesson through this. He's saying, yeah, you had this intention. And then something else came along and, and diverted your attention and you had to devote all of your energy and, 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 and determination to, to taking care of this problem. But I want to remind you of the commitment you made back here to be helpful, to give, to, to, to this ministry of helping other brothers and sisters in the faith. Now, therefore, perform the doing of it. So not just the intent, but the doing of it as well is very important. And he, and he gives the strength to this in verse 12. For if there be a first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. After Jesus came into Jerusalem riding on the back of that donkey, and people waving palm fronds in his path and saying hail to the king uh, and laying them laying down uh, these palm fronds in, in his path and so forth. It was a time that he, it, shortly after that apparently, that he's sitting in the temple and in the area where uh, sacrifices, uh, financial monetary sacrifices would be received. And he's sitting there watching people come in and put their money 
into the treasury. And he sees all these people who were really well off come and they gave of their of their blessing. They, they gave of their riches. And then he sees a little old woman, possibly crippled up, obvious by her dress, perhaps, that she had nothing. And she comes in and puts in two mites. It was the tiniest, most worthless, worth least coin that was available in that day. And she puts in two mites. And Jesus says, I think it was Luke 21. Let me turn back to that and see exactly what he, what he said in Luke 21 when he sees this happen. And he looked up and saw the rich men casting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also certain, a certain poor widow casting in thither two mites. And he said, of a truth I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast, hath cast in more than they all. Not just one of them, but all of them. For all these have of their abundance cast in unto the offering of God, but she of her penury has cast in all the living that she had. And he marveled at that. And he pointed it out. And it is in our scripture today as a tribute to this woman. Because her devotion to God and her faith in God caused her to cast in all of the coins that she had in her savings, apparently. Why? Because A, she trusted in God. That though she didn't have much, and if she would give of what she had, God would reward that. She had that, I'm confident, she had that confidence in God. And therefore, she brought it and cast it into the treasury as an offering to God. B, she was, she was doing that out of her poverty and not out of her riches. And, and that's why Christ said, I'm telling you, out of all of the people who have given today, she gave more than any of them. And the reason was not what she gave, but what she had left. She gave so much that she had virtually or realistically nothing left in terms of her savings, in terms of her money. And Jesus marveled, and, and it's recorded in our scriptures as an honor to this woman. What happened to her after this? Does anybody know? No, it's not recorded. But I think we can have confidence, can't we, that God took care of her. And I have full confidence that God took care of her. And this was a time, if you remember, that if you're a widow, you don't have offspring, you don't have children to take care of you in your old age. When your husband dies, if, if he didn't leave something with you, you were in trouble. You were in serious trouble. And she was in serious financial trouble. But she had faith in God. So he says, for if, in verse 12, if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to the, that he hath not. For, for I mean not that other men be eased and ye burdened, but by an equality. How many of you ever, ever heard the story uh, of the pilgrims when they first landed in America in that first year? They come to a country that was not civilized. There was no cities built. There was no infrastructure. There were no roads. There was no nothing. And they came and they apparently cleared some land or found land that was cleared. And they, and they decided together that they would have uh, what we would call today a communal type of financial system. 
And so plots of land were designated to, build, to put crops in so that they could overwinter because when there was no, no food over the winter, you're going to starve. Now they could go hunting perhaps, but there wasn't enough. I don't know if they didn't have enough resources to go hunting and you needed more than just meat, red meat to eat over the winter winter time. So they determined that they would plant crops and they, they communally did this all together. And the problem they found was the problem with every socialistic type economic system in society is that those who were lazy didn't do any work and those who were willing to do the work soon found out that they were carrying everybody else on their backs. And they about starved to death in that first year because people weren't willing to put in the work just to feed other people, even if it was to feed themselves as well, if the other people weren't willing to work. And this is not a, I don't mean this sermon to be a commentary on capitalism versus socialism. It's just a, a recognition of the selfishness of mankind. So when Paul is talking about this here, it almost sounds like, doesn't it? He's talking about a socialistic situation. What does he say? But by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, and their abundance may also be a supply for your want. For there may be, that there may be an equality. As it is written, he that hath gathered much had nothing over, and he that had gathered little had no lack. Now tell me, what does that sound like? Sounds like those who have a lot giving to those who have need, and those who have need receiving of those who have a lot. And we, 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 our, our immediate uh, response to that is one of, of pushback. We think, well, wait a minute now. Why should we, as, as people who are willing to work hard, give it all away to those who aren't willing to work hard? Well, I want to point a couple of things out here. Number one, Paul is not saying here that they're giving to people who aren't willing to work. That's not what he's saying. He's saying to people who have a need. And as we have probably all experienced, there are times when people get caught in circumstances beyond their control that puts them in a situation where there is a need. The, economic, the economics in the area may have crashed. There may have been a drought that year and the farmers couldn't grow a crop, just like the pilgrims experienced uh, you know, when, they, when they first came to, the, to, to America and began to try to put crops in the ground and so forth. I think the Native Americans had to show them some, some techniques of how to, how to plant crops and so forth and get a, a good return on their investment of seeds. But there's all sorts of circumstances, and Paul isn't... Paul isn't talking about economic systems here, but he's talking about the response that people have of the blessings that God gives to them in response to the needs that other people have and how that works among God's people. I think the second context here is that Paul is not necessarily talking about society at large. And again, I'm not condemning giving to those in need who are unbelievers. But the context of what Paul is talking about here is among believers. Now, hearkening back to pilgrims, they were believers, right? And, and what they found was that it didn't work very well because of that approach that they had. So is, in that, in, is that in contradiction to what Paul is talking about here in this letter to the Corinthian brethren? He says, 
but by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, that their abundance may also be a supply for your want, that there may be an equality. Is Paul advocating a socialistic economic system? <laughs> I think we all recognize that that life has a balance of trade-offs, that, that certain actions are going to produce certain reactions. That's one of the laws of physics. Um, and, and so, but, but it also happens in human nature. And, and I don't believe that Paul is talking about economic systems here, but Paul is talking about the mindset of a Christian regarding the temporal goods that God blesses us with and what we, how we should react to needs that are expressed. One of, sometimes one of our first reactions is, well, I don't want to give to them because they have a reputation for not working hard. Or I'm not sure that I have enough material goods at this point in time that if I give liberally that I will be able to somehow make that up or have what I need in order uh, to achieve the goals that I have financially. There's all sorts of things that pop into our heads in this context. But again, I, I think that we need to recognize what Paul is talking about here. He's saying to us, when we recognize what, what Christ did, what did Christ do? He gave up all of the riches that he had. He made himself a pauper materially when he came to earth not only that but he gave up his 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 proximity to the father and he gave up comforts in life and he gave up his own life itself that we might have life when he is our example we need to weigh his mindset against our own mindset. That's what Paul is talking about. And make decisions based on what Jesus has taught us in His Word and by His example. So Paul says, that is, as it is written, he that, he that had gathered much had nothing over, and he that had gathered little had no lack. He's not saying that we have to die in order to give what we have to others. What he is doing is, he's telling us, have this mindset and have the understanding that God will take care of us. And I think when we get to that point, we have gone a long ways toward reaping the benefits of the faith that Jesus Christ has won for us. Then there, I want to skip over quickly to the ninth chapter. We don't want to go through in great detail, but Paul says in verse 5, Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they go before unto you and make it, take up beforehand of your bounty, whereof ye had noticed before, that the same might be ready as a matter of, a matter of bounty and not of covetousness. But this I say, that he hath, which soweth sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. That's the promise of the blessing of God in giving. Okay, that's the Sometimes we look at giving and we say, I, I want to be in control, I want to retain control of my giving. 
So in order to do that, I'm going to be judicious in who I give to so, because I, that way I know what they will use it for. God doesn't ask us to retain control of that. He says, relinquish that control and leave it to me. And, and, and Paul says, if you, if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. Again, it's an analogy which simply says the blessings of giving sparingly are very spare themselves, both emotionally, spiritually, and financially. But he says, if you give generously, and generously I recognize is a term which can be interpreted in many different ways, God's Holy Spirit give that understanding to you. But he says, every man, verse 7, according as he hath purposed in his heart, so let him give. So he's saying this is a decision which we make by virtue of thinking with the brain that God gave to us and the, and the uh, answer of a good conscience toward God and in response to the Holy Spirit, that which we have determined we will give, then make sure you do it. Don't hold back. But And he says, there's an attitude in this giving. What does he say? As he purposed in his heart, so that's intentionally, so let him give, not grudgingly. In other words, to feel like what's left over is not enough. That somehow I gave beyond my means. He says there's no blessing in that. And there's no reward in that. But he says, or a, nor of necessity. That means that we don't give because we feel compelled to by external circumstances. In other words, eh, you know, brother so-and-so gave, and I know how much he gave, and if I don't give, I'm going to look like us. The whole concept is, it is something that is done between us and God. God who sees will bless according as He sees fit. And then He says, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Um, we had a Steve Green CD some years ago. Steve Green, a, a, a Christian singer-songwriter. And he, we had a, a children's CD that we would play for our kids. And we got sick of all of those songs. And some of them still go through my head. But one of them is a song entitled, God Loves a Cheerful Giver. And the refrain of that was, God loves a cheerful giver. Ha, 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 ha. God loves a cheerful giver. Ha, 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 ha. And that has gone through my head time and time again. And when I began to read this, Steve Green popped into my head and began singing, God loves a cheerful giver. Ha, 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 ha. But the point that he was making in that song is what Paul is making here. And that is that as we give, we don't do so grudgingly. We do so cheerfully. That is with a, an attitude that, we understand in faith that God will bless the giving and that we're not begrudging of it and that we don't think about it. Oh, did I give too much? Did I give too little? We purpose in our heart. We do so with intent. We don't do so grudgingly or out of a feeling of coercion, but we do so and then we forget about it and we let God take care of the results of that and we will be blessed. Because he says in verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. And as it is written, He hath dispersed abroad, He hath given to the poor, His righteousness remaineth forever. 
Then, then in verse 11, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causes, causeth through us thanksgiving to God. And Brother Wyan pointed that out earlier. And that was that the effect that, that is, is commanded, it's not the way I wanted to say that. The blessing that results from the command to be, to, to give and to do so, not grudgingly, but faithfully, is a, is a blessing that causes an effect in our hearts. And that is what God is after. He's not after our money. He's after the, the, the result of that giving spiritually and emotionally, I believe, in our hearts and minds. Then in verse 15, he, he reinforces that. He says, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. What is he referring to? His unspeakable, his un, God's unspeakable gift is the gift of Jesus Christ who saved us from our sins. That he, having given his life and shed his blood for our sins, has atoned for us who were unable to do so for ourselves. That is the ultimate gift. Giving someone which they could never, ever, ever achieve on their own. A gift which they do not deserve. And so the example that Christ gives, Paul again brings to their mind and says, thanks be to God for His unspeakable gift. It's the very definition of what giving is. Giving is giving out of our abundance to someone who has a great need in a sacrificial way that they might be blessed and that we might receive a blessing from God through that. I think we, we, we recognize this, but maybe we don't talk about it enough. We don't think about it enough. And so may God uh, add His blessings as we consider, not in the Christmas season giving gifts that uh, might please our children or please our spouse or whatever, but that we think about in this context giving of what God has given to us that others may be blessed according to His will. May God help us toward that end.